Good morning. I'm Linda Patterson. I'm uh, going to be sharing a message with you today. We are in the middle of our story series, and um, our scripture today comes from Exodus chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through uh, 18. The king of Egypt had a talk with the two Hebrew midwives. One was named, named Shipra and the other Pua. He said, when you deliver the Hebrew women, look at the sex of the baby. If it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But the midwives had far too much respect for God and didn't do what the king of Egypt ordered. They let the boy babies live. The king of Egypt called in the midwives. Why didn't you obey my orders? You've let those babies live. The midwives answered Pharaoh. The Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. Before the midwife can get there, they've already had the baby. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. Um, I'm going to start by sharing a story. Um, you know, as my mom has gotten older, she tells more stories from her childhood, which I appreciate greatly. Um, and I have heard many times um, about my great-grandmother, um, who everyone called Nanny. And uh, her first name was Annie, Annie Brown. And um, my parents grew up um, in New Mexico. And in particular, in Debaca County is where my mom grew up, um, spent most of her formative life. Debaca County is a very small county in New Mexico, um, and it is very poor and incredibly spread out. Um, according to the 2010 census, the least populated county in the United States. And Annie Brown was the midwife for that county. Now, amazingly, back in this time, in the 40s, they had no phone. She and my great-grandfather had no phone. And they had no car. And they didn't drive, even if they had a car. So whenever it came time for a baby to be born, the family in need would call the neighbor across the street, and she would come over and tell Annie that it was time to go to so-and-so's house to give birth. And she would pack up, and she would have food out for my grandfather, because she didn't just go for the birth. She went for four or five days. Her job, she felt, was to get a family from the time of birth, entering, bringing this new little person into the world, all the way until the mom was well enough to be able to be back in the family and is taken care of. So she saw that as all part of her own mission. Now, she was not trained. She was not a nurse. She did not have any health care education. But this is what she was called to do. Now, um, some may think that that was, would have been important to do, but Annie Brown learned along the way what it meant to be a midwife. And in this story today, Shifra and Prua um, are great examples of what it means um, to live out their own stories. 
They were called in to, uh, and scripture tells us their names, right? But we don't know the name of the king of Egypt. He is unnamed. But they're called in and told that they, he expects them to do something, which is to um, kill the Hebrew boys as they are born and to allow the girls to live. But what we see from this story is that the women decide that they are going to live out their story, not the one that the Pharaoh wants them to live. And I think this is our first glimpse of what this means for us as people of faith. You see, we are called to live our story where we are, right where we are. Whether you work in retail at Goodwill, whether you're a teacher or work in um, the school system in some fashion, whether you're a lawyer or you're retired, um, we're all called to recognize that our story matters, that your story matters, and that you can do amazing things right where you are. Now, it'd be tempting, I think, in this story to focus on um, things that I think are really not important today. Um, we could question whether or not these were Hebrew midwives, whether they were Hebrews themselves, or whether they were Egyptian women. It doesn't really matter. That's not the story that we're called to focus on. Instead, we're called to look at them and what they did in response to the Pharaoh's order. And I think, too, it would be very easy to focus on the whole question of life and how important it is. But we all know that that's true, folks, right? We know that life matters. But instead, what I think we're called to do is to understand what Shifra and Pua's story teaches us about our own stories. So earlier in Exodus 1, um, we're told a, king, a new king came to power in Egypt who did not know Joseph. Did not know Joseph. Now, that's important because he didn't know his own story as an Egyptian leader. He did not understand the interconnectedness between the Hebrew people and the Egyptians. Because it was Joseph, Jacob's son, who during a time of plenty stored up seven years worth of food. And then in seven years of famine, saved not only the Egyptians, but Hebrews as well, and a variety of folks in the nearby areas because he was dependent on God. But the Pharaoh didn't know their own story. And that growth of the Hebrew people was threatening to the Pharaoh's story. He saw the Hebrews as a threat. Instead of understanding and seeing that together they could work and make a greater story, but he did not recognize that, did not see it. And what we find is that Shipra and Prua's story wins out over this unnamed king because they have the courage to live out what they believe. We're told again that the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous before the midwife can get there. They had already had the baby. God was pleased with the midwives, scripture tells us. And the reason why God was pleased is because um, the midwives had far too much, 
respect for God and didn't do what the king of Egypt ordered. So honoring the story, um, even if it's tough, right? So even if we're at the wrong place, even if we're put with all these risks and possibilities, things that could go wrong. In December of 2010, I was, well, from 2006, May of 2006 until December of 2010, I worked for a political firm. And there are lots of good and bad things about that job. But in December of 2010, I got the news, um, bad news, that I was no longer going to be employed. In my entire life, I've never lost a job until that moment. And it was very concerning to me, uh, very concerning because I knew that um, our family could not um, make it in Northern Virginia off of James's income. I knew that I needed to get a job, that I needed to find something, and it needed to happen relatively quickly. And um, instead, being the um, controlling type of person that I am, um, instead of waiting to see how God plays, played this all out, um, or at least looking to God for guidance, I jumped at, and I was told multiple times in multiple interviews, you're overqualified, which is immensely frustrating. But then I accepted a job working um, as the operations person for this small PR firm. And it became pretty apparent after a couple of weeks that the woman who owned the business was not a very nice person. Um, that became very obvious. Um, I had been there about three weeks, and we had to work into the evening. And she was um, verbally abusive of one of the staff members almost to the point of making him cry. You could see that it was taking everything he had not to lose it. And I struggled because I'm the kind of person that does not stand by and watch um, injustice happen um, very easily. And so I began to struggle in that job. Um, struggle because I felt um, that I could bring a lot to that workplace but that she was not the kind of person that I wanted to really work for because she didn't value the people in that place. And over time, I continued to struggle, but I felt this pull financially. And um, it all kind of came to a head when one uh, day we sat down for a staff meeting and um, Actually, this one young woman in the office um, asked some questions about a big event that was going to happen uh, at NIH, and the woman who owned the company like immediately attacked her um, and um, made what I felt like were really awful personal statements. Ashley was a lovely young woman, and she said some things that I believe she knew was going to hurt her. And Ashley began to cry. And I said, that's enough. It is not OK to treat someone else that way. 
Now the challenge is, is that at that moment, I knew what was going to come next. I knew it um, because she did not appreciate anyone um, kind of standing up to her. And so the SAC meeting ended and I went back to my desk and about five minutes later, my phone rings and I get called downstairs to a back room so I'm not anywhere near anyone else. And she says, you know, you're fired. I will not allow you to question me in a staff, in a staff meeting or ever. This is my business. And I said, it is your business. Um, but I cannot be a part of watching someone who mistreats someone so poorly. I, I cannot stand by. And she said, you know, I'll give you a reference. And I said, don't really need one. And I walked upstairs and I got my stuff while her partner um, watched me get my things and I walked out. Now I tell that story because at the time when I took the job, I felt like I wasn't sure this was where God wanted me to be. But what I found was that even though that wasn't the best use of my skills, God was able to use me in that place at that time to not only stand up to her, but also to support my coworkers, which I heard after the fact, after I left, two other people quit shortly thereafter. It had nothing to do with me, but I think they finally had the courage not to take it anymore. And sometimes our stories um, fold and bend and sway a little bit in ways because we don't necessarily um, go where we're expecting to go, but God is leading us into that place. And I think, um, you know, thinking to Shifra and Prua, that they could have used a million excuses when the king said to them um, to kill the baby boys and to allow the girls to live, I think what they could have said a million different things, but instead they just went about their work and respected God and chose to not honor what he has ordered them to do. And so their story became a story of amazing, powerful women who do not allow others to change their story. They, and that I think is really important because sometimes others try and impede on us to change our story and who we are when God really calls us to be firm and to live our lives in ways that show our faith um, even when it's hard. The midwives had far too much uh, respect for God and didn't do what the king ordered. And one of the challenges I think we're we have to recognize is that knowing your story, knowing my story, means knowing where you fit in the world and what you're to do. And sometimes that's easy and other times it's not. And in a case for Shifra and Prua, you know, the king told them what they should do and they didn't allow their story to change, which was to be midwives for Hebrew women, to bring life into this world and to honor God and respect God in that work. 
And we can each find ways to honor and respect God in the work that we do in the world, regardless of what it is that we do. And I think, too, it's really easy to sit and hear a story like this and think of all the babies that they saved, but they were small players in the Israelite story. And you and I don't have to be these amazing, you know, crazy, amazing people that have all these folks watching to see what we do. We can live our lives just where we are and honor our story and change our story and change the story, stories of others around us um, by loving God and respecting that story. You know, last weekend, Congregation Beth Israel in Collingsworth, Texas, um, during the Shabbat service, uh, was uh, four people were held hostage in that, um, in that synagogue. And while it was on live feed um, by this terrorist, and when the rabbi, Rabbi uh, Citron Walker, um, was asked about it, um, how people could deal with what happened to them being taken hostage for 10 hours under this immense threat of violence with this large weapon at them, pointed at them, here's what he said. Some people find it hard to summon hope. What can we do, he asked. The answer is quite a lot. In the midst of chaos and uncertainty, God asked the Israelites, and I think in the case of the story we heard today of Shifra and Pruah, to face their fears and do something. We are living in the midst of a different kind of chaos and uncertainty in our world, and it's our turn to do something. All we need to do is act. I think it's so easy in today's world to hide behind our routines, and I find that during the pandemic, it's especially easy to, to hide, to become anonymous in this world. Um, we risk losing ourselves and our story by not risking, by not taking part, by not speaking up, by not taking risks to advance our story in God's world. We don't, we don't need to take on a king or a terrorist to do this, but, but we can um, be a part of God's, God's larger story by honoring that. You know, each of us, right where we are, have the opportunity to live God's love, God's grace, God's amazing work, just where we are. By the things that we say and the things that we do, by the things that we stand up against, and the things that we spend our time doing by helping others, by making a difference. You see, Schiffer and Prua could have just gone about their work, and they could have listened to what the Pharaoh said, but instead they risked. And I think the question is, is in your story, in my story, what risks, what chances are we called to take to, to move God's bigger story into the world? That is what Shifra and Prua ask of us today. What can we do 
um, to bring about God's love and grace in this world. Amen. One of the things we do every week when we gather, it is the thing that uh, sustains us in every moment of our lives, and that is prayer. Whether we recognize that we're praying because we're using words, or whether we're doing it simply by breathing and recognizing God's love that flows through us in every given moment right where we are, as Shifra and Pua did in their lives. Uh, in either case, Prayer is the sustaining force that moves us. As we come to this time of prayer, I'm aware of at, at least two requests. One, we've been praying for uh, a couple that is not connected to St. James, uh, but particularly um, we got to know her through Lord and Community Action Center. Her name is Mary. Uh, Mary's a wonderful host, uh, hostess. Her husband, uh, Bruce, is a retired general, and we've been to their homes many times uh, to raise money for, uh, for Lord and Community Action Center. Mary has uh, a brain tumor that's inoperable, and she's now in hospice care. She and Bruce have been married 47 years. They have children and grandchildren, and she will be sorely missed. So I want us to be in prayer for Mary uh, and also for her family. I invite us to be in prayer as well uh, for Tracy. Tracy's a member of our congregation, and he uh, had an oblation in his, uh, of his heart uh, and uh, is in continuing to recover. So we ask for, uh, that we hold him up as well. So we'll enter into a time of silent prayer together. I'll pray aloud for us, and then we will uh, pray the Lord's uh, prayer together. A version of it will be on the screen behind me, but certainly pray any version you want in any language you want. And that'll be the way we end our time of prayer. Let's enter into a moment of silent prayer together. Gracious and loving God, we cannot predict the future. We don't know what will happen next. We only know what is happening now. We only know who we are right now. For the story of Shifra and Pua that Linda brought us this morning, we recognize in them that while it was risky for them and their future, they chose to honor you now. And we pray, oh God, as Linda encouraged us this morning, that we too would honor you in the way that we love you and love one another, and that we live on the edge of riskiness. Uh, we pray for Mary, 
and for Bruce and the entire family in this time of sadness and struggle. We pray for wholeness. We pray for your hand of uh, sustaining love be amongst them. We pray that you would walk with them through this tough time and that you would bring healing to their hearts. We pray for Tracy. We pray for healing for his heart. We pray for you to be strength and courage for him in the midst of all of this. We pray for everyone in the world who is struggling, trying to tell their story while so many others try to tell them what their story should be as opposed to what it is. We pray, O oh God, that just as we are made in your image, uniquely meant to reflect your goodness in this world, that we will live that story. The story that you wrote upon our hearts, on our souls, on our very beings. We pray, O oh God, that that would be reflected in the way that we live and love and have our being in every moment. We also know that we will fail and that we have failed. And we turn to you in trust, knowing that your grace and love for us has you let go of those things which still bind us. Teach us, O oh God, to let go of the things that we hold on to, turning only to you for your love and strength. Thank you for all the gifts you give us. Thank you for the gift of Linda's words this morning for the many voices amongst us who each in our own way speak your truth in the way that we live. We pray, O oh God, that you would watch over us and guide us, and we pray it all in the precious and holy name of your son, Jesus, the same Jesus who modeled a prayer for us that we use now, saying, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.